It's the 14th of March, 2015, and this is episode 195. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. What cryptocurrency enables is new, empowering, and exciting, but we're not experts. Just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin. This is Stephanie with you. Today I'm joined by a very cool guy all the way from Berlin, Joshua Shigella from Voltoro. He's kind of like a serial entrepreneur, artist, musician, anarchist. I don't know what you'd really call him, but he's got a lot of uh, experience in many different areas. And he is a bionic man. He's got a metal heart valve. <laughs> so can't be going through MRI machines or anything like that. <laughs> or certain places in the airport, probably. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Stephanie. It's an absolute pleasure. I've uh, loved Let's Talk Bitcoin since episode one. <laughs> it's always great to talk with someone who's truly very integrated with the Bitcoin world and has been for quite a long time. How did you first find out about Bitcoin? I've been a gold bug forever as well, and so I really love the idea of private money and money that's not based on debt. And I think that's a really intrinsic important factor about money is that this this concept of money being created as debt is really toxic and we can see that playing out in europe at the moment with the greece problem and the whole euro but generally having this this class of people that are constantly in debt because if if you pull out uh, and i use this example a fair bit if you pull out a 50 euro note or a dollar note in your pocket, someone somewhere owes $50 to the bank with interest. And when you play that out across a whole society, you just think, well, some people are doing it well and uh, everyone else is uh, is really struggling to make ends meet. And, you know, you, you're never going to have a utopia where everyone's doing well. And, and uh, say the system that's, that's around now, I mean, we're all living generally a lot better than any time in history where a lot more people that are doing quite well. We can eat amazing food from around the world and, and stuff, but we can always do better. So you got into Bitcoin from sort of the private money aspect. Would you consider yourself sort of a voluntarist or libertarian type? What would you call yourself? I would call myself a voluntarist. You know, when, whenever I walk in and say I'm an anarcho-capitalist, it's like, whoa, you know, you, you're dealing with two sort of terms that are really loaded. They basically took the two most baggage-laden words and smushed them together and said, yeah, this is a new f- political philosophy, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, my God, you're hated by everyone, you know. You, you walk <laughs> right. in and say, I'm an anarchist. What, you have, you know, a mohawk and like throwing Molotov cocktails around or what? No, no, I'm a capitalist. What? You pig. And it's like, no, no, I, I just like, you know, uh, volunteer interaction between multiple parties that uh, actually want to do well and uh, and uh, have a peaceful interaction. That's all. Yeah, Full peace, stop. prosperity, ah. free markets. I know, but then it conjures up these images of like the most horrible things in the world. <laughs> Believe me, I really understand your frustration with those labels. It's cool to hear that your political ideas sort of dovetailed into Bitcoin as a natural extension of them. That definitely was my experience as well. Just a lot of the early adopters of Bitcoin come from these uh, these circles of of really trying to separate money and state or bank and state 
and have these ideals of freedom of, of movement of cash and so uh, these agorist roots. And I think that's what was so beautiful about some of the early adopters is that I always thought, well, some of the early adopters are massively rich, but it couldn't have gone to a better bunch of people really because they're really, uh, you know, the people that I talk to who were really early are really have got such good hearts on them, you know, really care for peace and prosperity and really striving for a better world. And that's, you know, that's just amazing. And that's why I love the Bitcoin community. I don't think I've met a better bunch of people. I'm using collective terms there again, but whenever I go to meetups and stuff, I just really interesting and intelligent people. And it's, it's always such a pleasure. You're an entrepreneur, right? You're kind of like a serial entrepreneur. In fact, I first sort of met you when you asked me to do a voiceover for one of your other businesses. Actually, I think it might be your wife's business, which is um, Swap Style, which is a website that lets people trade clothing. Yeah, that's right. We both uh, came up, had this idea years ago. It was well, 12 years ago now. Uh, she couldn't, she was studying fashion design and, and she couldn't afford the, the, the labels and stuff. And she had some, but, and she saw all these other people on eBay had them. And so she'd sort of contact them saying, Hey, do you just want to swap? And so they'd get off and I thought, there's, there's got to be a better way. So we built the first uh, fashion uh, swap site. And that I've always had an interest in economics. And so. I love the idea of people trading, but you know, a lot of people have this ideal of swapping is like this uh, perfect thing and everyone should just drop money and go into swapping things. And the fact of the matter is it's really hard because sometimes you have something that someone else doesn't want, but you want something of theirs or, you know, so having these tokens in between that represent uh, value makes the whole experience a lot more fluid. But how that token comes into existence is super important. And we see that in altcoins. We see everyone so interested in how money is created, how altcoins are created. Like, oh, is it a pre-mine or is it how many blocks per this and that? And they really want to know. But then you talk to them, talk to them, other people about, well, where does your euros come from? No one would have a clue. No one has any interest. It's amazing. It really is. It's, it's a filtering effect on the uh, most active-minded, curious, (laughs) perhaps inquisitive types of people who actually ask those questions in the first place. And then suddenly they're all asking them about altcoins because they've already dismissed the fiat money. (laughs) But then nobody else is asking questions about the fiats. Yeah, you're right. There are some fascinating economics in the idea of swapping or trading non-money items. And I guess you saw that with, with that business. You've started other businesses too. I mean, like what are some of your other projects that you've worked on? You said you started this one 12 years ago, but what's been going on in between? <laughs> well, you know, I was uh, head of special effects and, and graphics in, uh, through the whole period of, uh, so a lot of uh, 3D and technical 3D stuff and programmatically working with a form of art. But in between that, uh, you know, taking that technical focus out onto other projects and we built one of the first apps for the gay community on the iPhone, actually, really? uh, way back when. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was a long, long time ago when iPhone 3G, the App Store was just launched. Was this before Grinder? It was actually at the same time. We came out at the same time and he contacted us saying, wow, we've got to do something. Uh, yeah. And, and then we were like, ah, oh, you know, we're just on our own path. And we actually, what happened was I was so burnt out from my last business that I just couldn't 
deal with the massive traffic that they got. As soon as we went on the app store, it just exploded. And I just, we couldn't keep up. And I just said, you know what, it has to, to I need a break. You know, we got a few cease and desist letters from massive corporations that had already circled the certain names and stuff because we had this function called Gaydar. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody tried to trademark Gaydar? Honey, you can't trademark that, okay? <laughs> I know. Well, that's what we thought. And we wanted to get the whole gay community behind, like, this whole thing, protection of, of normal nomenclature. But uh, it was... Um, wow. It was... Yeah, it was basically because a, a gay friend of ours just went on to one of the straight meeting things and, and you know, really lovely people. I just wanted to sort of meet people that are similar to him because he was sort of dealing with a lot of issues and, you know, meet other people in the same area. And, and he uh, got actually beaten up because he met oh. the wrong person on these straight things. So that's what sort of inspired us to make that. We knew that Apple was quite gay-friendly, so we used that because they were putting out these videos of all the workers that were um, of different sexual orientations, and we sort of leveraged them because they wouldn't want to come out against this app because it was a community-based app. It wasn't some sort of, like, it wasn't like Grindr where they, um, you know, it was uh, based on sex. It was purely for people to meet other people and nice, a nice thing. Just get a cup (laughs) of coffee, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Huh. Wow. So if you ever decide you want to get back into that arena, I have a great business idea. It's it's called Scissor, Grinder for Girls. What do you think? Hey, works for me. A great idea. But it's a really interesting story that you sort of had this background in app development. And it sounds like I'm seeing a theme in your projects, which is that they connect people and they allow people to exchange stuff or exchange networking or, or whatever. Yeah, definitely. And I just have an interest in new technologies as well. It's just one of these things that grab and I I want to build something. I've always loved building things. And this is, uh, that's why I I just, I'm just so glad I was born in this century (laughs) where it's these amazing (laughs) things that you can do with technology. And it's so accessible. It's fantastic. This is a great segue into talking about Valtoro and what you're doing with that. Tell me about how you got the idea for Valtoro, it feeling it's going to combine two, two of your passions that you talked about earlier, gold and Bitcoin, free money, free market money, yeah. <laughs> free as in liberty money, not free as in beer. <laughs> I like to say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, tell me about the, what, what Valtoro is and how it got started. Being a Bitcoin fan, I was, I was just always mucking around with, with sending it and doing it and following the whole community and Mount Gox collapsed. Uh, yeah, I got quite a big sting from that. Uh, I lost, uh, I lost a bit on that one, and it really, really saddened me because I saw such potential and such a beautiful technology, such an amazing technology that had the the ability to liberate so many people. And then it, it wasn't that that affected Bitcoin actually, but it affected the media. Uh, and what they were talking about, they're constantly talking about this problem. And the fact that people lost a lot of money really saddened me. And I, I, I just thought there has to be a better way. So we started thinking about a decentralized exchange and how to decentralize and, and not to, you know, because I really didn't want to touch fiat again either. So I wanted to build an exchange where we could trade between gold 
and Bitcoin, but didn't want to go to the centralized route either. But then we've sort of figured out, well, the, these decentralized structures are actually quite slow. They're not a very good mechanism for a price discovery mechanism. It, it It's kind of clunky and slow. And, and we figured, well, the gold is centralized. It needs to be centralized so it's easily auditable and all the, the security features behind gold because gold has a very old and established form of, of accountancy and auditing protocols and security and it's a long history of that but we wanted to see an exchange that could also for the first time have a price discovery system that wasn't based on fiat but was based on a commodity and so it was much better to build a, an exchange which was fast and speedy and snappy that had a great price discovery mechanism real-time trading and this amazing auditability. So we focused a lot on how do you audit, how do you keep glass books? And, and the Bitcoin side of it is fantastic. And I've never really understood why these exchanges don't just show their their cold wallets. Why don't they just, you know, publish their cold wallets? It's it's easy. And, and I've asked a lot of people. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, that's a great question. And a lot of people have asked that question and the exchanges just haven't budged in terms of, offering transparency to their customers. So yeah, I'm with you. I think that's an area that's just asking to be disrupted, basically. Absolutely. I mean, you know, government regulation really can't keep up. Even if there's some people out there that want this to be regulated, governments are too slow, too clunky to turn quickly and shift quickly with this technology. It's moving far too quickly for the establishment to regulate. But what we're seeing now is the market starting to build regulations. The community is demanding it, is demanding better and more transparency. And and so some of the 2.0 exchanges, I think, will be forced to do that. Otherwise, they're going to lose business. Well, that's what I hope anyway. And the people that have asked, I've asked, why, why, why don't they publish their cold wallet addresses? They've straight away said, well, it's a, it's a, it's a privacy issue then. And for me, when we were structuring Voltoro, we thought, well, if people want their Bitcoins private, they have to sort that out before they send the Bitcoins to us. It's not, we want transparency. We want transparency. We want glass books. I think they're saying that and it's a convenient excuse, but I don't think that's actually the real reason that they care about their customers' privacy. Because if they did, they wouldn't be keeping all these KYC records on their customers in places that are accessible by hackers on their servers and people's information gets stolen all the time. So I don't believe that excuse that exchanges are saying, oh, well, we, we care so much about our customers' privacy that we can't show our own books. <laughs> we can't show our own gold storage addresses because it might be traced back to who our customers are. That's BS, in my opinion. It's total nonsense. So what we've done is we have cold wallet multi-signature. Well, they're not actually cold because they're multi-sig wallets, but they're not online in the sense of the ser- some server can't be hacked and it can be stolen, but they're, they're multi-sig based around the world. So even if one country somehow, you know, I don't know, gets <laughs> something happens, you know, they, you, no one can touch this cold wallet. So and not one single point of failure basically is the, is the important structure. The second thing is what we do is we publish an anonymized list of all our customers. So every customer gets an anonymous code 
and they can go onto our onto the order page and next to that anonymous code is how much gold that anonymous code has and how much bitcoin so someone can go in there and say oh well my record's clean my that's exactly how much gold i've got in that much if mine's clean then i'm then i'm pretty much sure everyone else is clean otherwise someone will scream and shout about it online i'm not there there's a discrepancy or whatever then they can go down the bottom of the list and see the sum of everyone's holdings and check that against the cold wallets and the warm wallet. So we've got this concept of a warm wallet, which is a proxy hot wallet. This is because it's just it's too hard to publish all the hot wallet addresses. Everyone can generate a new hot wallet address every time they go on the site. And so it's, it's just too tricky. So what we do is we have one address where we keep as much or more of what's in the hot wallets in this warm wallet that can be checked against everyone's holding on this audit so people can check how much all our creditors have they can check the cold wallets and they can check this proxy hot wallet and make sure that we're above reserve and that's the, goes the same with the- this is just stop for a minute josh i mean this is amazing this is an incredible level of transparency that no one has even come close to offering in terms of exchanges. And so good for you. <laughs> I just have to say, it's really cool to see this. And it's really something that's new and different because like I said, just no other exchange is doing anything like this. And the sheet that you just mentioned about where customers can look at an anonymized version of everyone's holdings in gold and Bitcoin and check their own and check, you know, the total sum of the holdings and so forth. That is a great idea. And that's actually what ended up happening with Mt. Gox when their their data was leaked. So like they didn't release that themselves. But if you remember after the fact, um, someone, uh, I guess a, a hacker so-called, obtained the customer records of Mt. Gox and assigned like a basically a number to every account and was pointing out some ac- accounts like the, the bots, the trading bots, Willie and Marcus, that were, as one blogger called them, doing some very fishy trades that was all based on the kind of data that you are going to be releasing up front voluntarily without anyone having to hack it <laughs> to get it. So very cool. Was that idea inspired by that release from Mt. Gox or how did you come up with that? Uh, it wasn't. No. After Mt. Gox, we were really just brainstorming whole heaps of, a whole heap of ideas of how can, what would I want? in the next exchange where would i want to put my money what would i want to see and so we worked through a whole lot of different ideas and it slowly evolved into this i think eventually this is what everyone will have to do and there's no leak of privacy because if you deal with all your coins beforehand and privatize them if you're if you're worried about that which you should be then you can look on here and and see all the coins are there and but deal with the privacy outside of the exchange. That's really important. And, and it's a practice that everyone should be dealing with. And I wanted to talk about that as well. But before I do, I want to talk about the gold auditing side of it. You mentioned that there were established auditing processes for gold that have been around for hundreds of years. The same way you can check your Bitcoin holdings against the cold wallet and the warm wallet, you can also check your gold standing. And then... We publish a weekly stand of our gold holdings from the vault operator. The vault operator, by the way, is one of Europe's largest gold vaulting firms. 
really, really well-established and strong company. We get a proof of how much gold is stored in Voltoro members' names. On Can you say who that company is yeah. or you're not revealing no, that? No, that's, okay. uh, they're called Pro Aurum. And then they get audited by the fifth largest auditing firm in the world. They turn over $7 billion a year in 2014. So the auditing firm really has, has nothing to gain by helping us out by scamming, you know, by lying to our customers that they've audited of properly they and, and this is something that that miners and bitcoin miners are, all, are also based on is is this incentive structure of bitcoin a lot of um bitcoin is based on incentives and game theory so that there's just no incentive to cheat the system in a lot of the variants of of bitcoin and that's the same with this structure we have a company that's far too large to want to help game some little scam on the side is not worth it for them because it could ruin their whole name. And so there's just no way of, of doing that. And that's what we wanted. We wanted a company that was so big and separate from us that they have this audit. They audit the vaults every six months. So it's not as often as we'd like, but it's still a fantastic step in the right direction. We also, you know, we have that the audit from our vault operator that's on a weekly basis. So we have this sort of tier of transparency and on top of that the gold is insured as well and we we publish the insurance papers the bdo um, auditing papers everything on that audit page so everyone can constantly see the heart and check it themselves so there's public scrutiny and private scrutiny by some massive established auditing firms which is really really positive and it's a great step in the right direction and that's really uh, something that the community should be demanding more of from a lot of these exchanges, especially in China and stuff. And I think, I think that's going to happen. Well, it's going to happen now that you've taken the lead on it, because not only are you serving as an exchange, but you're also serving as a standard to, to set for other exchanges. And you're really doing something to push that standard of transparency forward. Clearly, you've thought this through really carefully, and I appreciate that very much. And I'm sure other people will appreciate it and uh, the market will reward you <laughs> for this. Yeah, well, thanks very much. I, I, you know, and what really excites me is that for the first time, people can trade, basically trade out of Bitcoin and hedge the volatility, but not have to touch this filthy fiat stuff again. <laughs> and you know, a lot of people trade into the old coins to try and do that, but the old coins are just as volatile. So, you know, I like my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I like to sleep. If people want to park their money somewhere so they can somewhere at least relatively stable. Gold is definitely stable on a long-term basis. You know, it's not super stable on the short term, but it's still a lot more stable than Bitcoin. Or other altcoins. It is actually kind of like altcoin and Bitcoin trading in the sense that it's sort of a like-for-like like type of thing. You don't have to deal with the legacy banking system, really, except for gold, the limited gold storage, uh, which isn't quite as bad as touching fiat. It actually almost reminds me sort of of uh, Coinapult with their locks. They have basically a variable balance Bitcoin wallet where you can send Bitcoins to it, lock the value of your Bitcoins to something like gold, silver, or fiat, and then later on withdraw that amount of, of Bitcoins. But you can only withdraw the Bitcoins and they don't have that transparency process. I don't know how you actually confirm other than just trusting Coinapult 
it definitely doesn't have the sort of glass books aspect that Valtoro has. That's interesting. Have you talked to Coinapult or have you heard of their service before? Uh, yeah, I've heard of their service and um, I, I can't talk for them. I'm not, not sure the ins and outs. I've been too busy trying to build the, the perfect structure on, a, on our end. Uh, what's really, really great about it, and I'm very excited about this, is the, the aspect of the developing world being able to exit their failing currencies or corrupt currencies and start trading Bitcoin. But for some of these people in developing countries, getting a 20% hit on your assets is really, it could be a killer. I mean, it could really literally steal the food out of your family's mouth for a week and they just can't afford that. And this is the first time in history, and, and it's not just my company, there's also BitReserve and BitGold and some other companies that offer gold, it is allowing people to trade into gold. These people, for the first time, can get hold of investment-grade gold with investment-grade security behind their gold. I, I can't talk for those other companies, but I can definitely talk for mine and what we're structuring and what we're securing. And I these vaulting companies are amazing. I mean, they're really... Far out. I, I went and visited Proorum and um, no one can even get into the vault. The amount of protocol involved to go in, even the boss of Proorum can't go into the vault. They have to ring the insurance company. The insurance company needs to open a window of time that they're allowed. They send a representative. In. They've got security guards. They've got, you know, the, it's, the list goes on and on. And the first time someone in Saharan Africa can trade a watermelon for some Bitcoin, exchange the Bitcoin for this gold that's really secured. I mean, these people don't want to hold gold in their heart. I mean, it's it's very dangerous to hold wealth, too much yeah, wealth in some of these countries. That. So it's it's really... That's a barrier to even having wealth. If you can manage to amass it, it's hard to keep it because of security issues. Later on, where um, it's on the table to, to start building merchant services into these system but i mean that's that's far we're, we're focused purely on a trading system at the moment to get that perfect but you know these are these exciting thoughts to think about that people for the first time all around the world globally and we're and it's you know what's really great stephanie's when we're verifying some of these documents it's it's great to see people from all around the world being able to trade and hold something as as beautiful as in terms of money as private money as, as gold and bitcoin and be able to trade back and forth instantly without these banks i i used a long time ago bullion vault and, and they're a great company too they they deal but with fiat and, and and bullion and you know it took me five working days to get some money across there the banks took this massive chunk of cash for the privilege of moving it there then uh traded in there <laughs> i then I wanted to sell. I needed to buy something with with that money, and then it took another five working days. Uh, I had to literally pull down my pants and show everything of where I got it, who, what, when, you know. <laughs> and it's like to these banks with Bitcoin, it's like in, up, you know, for three cents the the network fee and the fee that we take, we take a trading fee of uh, a standard trading fee of zero point five percent, and going down to zero point two percent. Uh, the more you trade. Mm, so that's your business model is just the trading fees? Yeah, that's the trading fees. So we take And that. merchant services potentially later on down the line? Yeah, later on down the line. But uh, that that will most likely also have to be very, very, we want to try and get that as liquid as possible by keeping 
profits down and, and um, services as good as possible to try and you know get people to use it. Today's magic word is gold. That's G-O-L-D. Gold. You've got until the 21st of March to visit letstalkbitcoin.com and the Let's Talk Bitcoin iOS app to enter it for your share of the listener rewards. So, okay, this is all really fascinating. I've got a couple questions if you don't mind. Bring it on. So we were just talking about potentially someone in sub-Saharan Africa being able to obtain some Bitcoin and uh, then basically trade it for gold on Valtoro. What happens if somebody wants to take physical possession of the gold? Is it something where you can only withdraw Bitcoins from Valtoro? Can you actually take physical possession of gold? Yeah, you can. Um, so we are primarily a trading platform, but we do offer the of course, the, the ability to withdraw, it's really important to offer that ability in case of our insolvency, if God forbid something was to happen to us, if there's a systematic, global, systemic failure of everything, <laughs> then people want to get hold of the gold and so forth and so on. The thing is, it, it's quite expensive. Um, you know, the, like I was saying, the protocol to get into the vault the gold that's in the vault are good delivery bars so between 11 and 13 kilo bars that have never seen the sun. You know, they go from the mine, get smelted, put straight into these vaults. We need to get the intruder. All those people to go in, they need to be smelted down to 100 gram. Uh, that, that's the minimum to withdraw, 100 grams. I mean, this is all possible, but it can be, you know, it's not cheap. It's, it, you would be better off trading for Bitcoin and buying gold locally. It can happen really quickly, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely possible. And I recommend people try it. You know, if they put a bunch of gold in, um, you can withdraw it, but it's, you know, there's also taxes, um, shipping taxes and and stuff like that. And it's, uh, it's just an expensive way of buying gold. And, but if you, if if you want to go that direction, you're more than welcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe you'll find ways to make it easier in the future, but it's cool to have that option there in case somebody wants it, which is just not available <laughs> in other cases. Like, for instance, in the case of a Cornipult's locks thing, you just can't, you can't get precious metals. You'd have to just withdraw Bitcoins and then maybe use them to trade locally for precious metals or something mm. like that, like you said. Yeah, well, we had a, th- you know, we were trying to think of a way to make it cheaper. For instance, we sell the gold in the vault and then send them gold from somewhere else. But the thing is, it's not mm-hmm. our gold to sell. It's in the user's name. So legally, we can't do that. So even if Voltoro goes away and you had bought some you had bought some gold or something on Voltoro five years ago, it's in your name. Yeah. It's not in Voltoro's name, right? It's, it's in their name. And so what happens is actually, if someone does want to withdraw physical we have a whole system now built up. So there's a third party law firm that every 24 hours gets an encrypted list of everyone's standing. The private key for that encryption is held lockbox with the key with another law firm. (laughs) So if something was to happen to us, there are steps in place that we have a protocol in place to do that. But 
if someone wants to take out Boolean, firstly, they have to, the, the customer needs to sign that they would like that and they fill out a form. That form then gets sent to the lawyer. The lawyer then checks that they actually own that gold, checks the trading history, then says, okay, yep, they, they own that gold. And that's to stop any of our executives or employees withdrawing gold that might be under a customer's name. So there's always a third party that's nothing to do with us and that has incentives not to collude because they would lose a lot more than they stand to gain. And we've really tried to think of every way possible to secure not only in terms of publicly audible, but systems in place. And that's why, again, it's, it's just, it can be an expensive process of buying and holding. And if you really want to get hold of your gold and cuddle it, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an expensive way to go. It's better to, you know, sell on, on Voltora instantly, send it to you within yourself within seconds and buy physical gold on Amaji or some other metals provider that accepts Bitcoin. Uh, what I'm also excited about is is the price discovery. People being able to set their own price for gold uh, for Bitcoin now. There's some other companies that offer a buy and a sell, so they can you can buy um, secured gold that's vaulted for you, but it's always just offered at their spread. And so for the first time, and I'm really looking for in the future where uh, where Bitcoin isn't priced in USD anymore, but priced in gold, <laughs> that would be really wonderful. Yeah, that will be really interesting to see and, you know, could create some arbitrage opportunities potentially. But just like there are various exchange rates between Bitcoin and different altcoins and different altcoins versus each other, there's this is just going to be another trading pair and it'll be really interesting to see how the price shakes out. That's a cool aspect to all this. You mentioned the cost to securing the gold and putting all these checks and balances in place to make sure that withdrawals are legitimate and that people can be verified if they are going to make a withdrawal of physical gold or, or whatever. How are you covering all those costs with just a half a percent trading fee? Does that, you think that'll work out? So there's half a percent trading fee, but there's also a, a vault and insurance fee. But it's extremely small. It's 0.4% per year calculated on a 15-minute basis. So a lot of the time, someone is holding gold and it's like a three-cent little thing every every month or something like that. But from everyone, it covers the cost. It's a little bit and more And that's expensive. only if you're holding gold, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's no, there's no storage fee for Bitcoin. I'm always very suspect of exchanges that don't take any fees and make everything free because if I'm doing business with an exchange... Why are they doing that? Exactly. exactly. I want them to be profitable. I want an exchange to be profitable because then they're sticking around. And this, again, cuts back to the incentives. I'd rather pay a little bit of a fee for the trades than wonder, well, how are these people staying alive? As a startup, uh, we have some private investment as well, though. So we're covering costs like that as well, just to start with. I hope to be uh, cash flow positive pretty soon. When someone goes on Voltoro, puts in some Bitcoins and says, okay, I want to buy an ounce of gold or something like that. What 
actually happens? Does any actual gold in the physical world move or does, do you settle up all the gold transactions at the end of the day? Like when does that settlement occur and how does it work? That's the beautiful thing. The settlement happens within seconds. As soon as the trade happens, the ownership changes in that trade. So settlement happens pretty much instantly. So no gold actually moves, like there's already a bunch of gold sitting in a vault somewhere. It's just now Stephanie owns it instead of whoever owned it before? That's correct. Okay. So there's there's two phases in the business. We have to sell gold into the market and then that gold starts trading between users. Unless it's withdrawn uh, physically, of course, mm-hmm. by the person that owns it. Can people sign up for it right now? Yeah, absolutely. They can sign up. And the, oh, the other great, great thing about it is that there's no need to verify yourself. In terms of um, European regulations, you can buy up to 7,500 euros worth of precious metals a day, you know, without handing over all your IDs and stuff. But Oh, man. Yeah, so we've, we've dropped that down to $5,000 just to be well within the law a day. But it means that people can go on and, and instantly start securing their wealth without all that hassle. The thing is, we really, really, really recommend people verify themselves, even without that, because the gold is stored in their name. And when they don't verify themselves, it's stored under their email name. And if something, God forbid, was to happen to that person, if they were to die, their estate's management, it would cost a lot for the estate management to prove ownership of the person a lot more than if they had sent verification beforehand. Uh, it just makes everything a lot more fluid. Some exchanges somehow leak people's data, you know, their private documents and things. I mean, we're in the Bitcoin world, people. <laughs> Encryption is number one. I mean, how hard is this? Yeah. <laughs> Right. It's, uh, encryption is, is the, the, ho- the holy grail of all of this. It's, it's really not that difficult to make sure everything is encrypted, double salted and, and sorted out. Technology is there. It's just a matter of good corporate governance. And this is extremely, extremely important. And uh, again, I think people are going to expect more and more of that. And, and it's really nice to see some of these 2.0 exchanges like Coinbase and stuff. I'm not in America, so I haven't really dealt with them. But from what I can determine, they, they seem to be an exchange with a bit more sort of, I don't know, I guess you can talk a bit more about that because you're in the States there and how they're dealing with transparency and stuff. They're a little bit... Not more. well. Oh, really? <laughs> All right. No. I mean, oh. I guess Coinbase is maybe better than most, but it's nowhere near the level of glass books, which is what you're going for. Is Valtoro going to be accepting US customers? Are you going to block US IP addresses? This is probably illegal somewhere, some somehow, <laughs> even though it's such a cool idea. What's the status with US customers? That's an interesting one. Initially, we had thought that... U.S. customers can't buy store gold outside of the U.S., but what we realized that it was actually Via Mat, which is a massive, huge vaulting and security firm, was blocking U.S. customers. And what had actually happened was it was because the U.S. government would say, well, if you have U.S. customers, then we can search your vaults. They didn't want that. 
Uh, they didn't want the U- U.S. authorities going and rummaging through their vaults. Yeah, of course. But because the structure that we've set up, it's not the same as being a vault operator. We don't fall under the same jurisdiction and same regulatory framework as Viamat does. Yeah, it, it works quite well in that sense. I suppose, how could you possibly stop a U.S. customer, even if you wanted to, from signing up if all they need is an email address? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we could um, uh, filter IPs, but people can get around that. And it's it's really, it, yeah. it's like the war on anything, war on any sort of concept. They just don't work. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, and it's really sad. I mean, it's really, really sad, Stephanie, to to see that Americans are putting up, Americans have this beautiful sense of, or history of freedom, and they're putting up with this nonsense of being really starting to be controlled. I hope that something changes. <laughs> How can people sign up? How can people try it out, get in touch with you? You go to voltoro.com. That's vault, as in V-A-U-L-T, and oro, which is Spanish for gold, voltoro.com. V-A-U-L-T-O-R-O dot com. That's right. And um, then they sign up and... You just send some Bitcoin there. You can see in real time the confirmations coming in and we take six confirmations like normal and then you can trade away. Today it just turned on that uh, people can withdraw it without uh, manual. We were manually going through and making sure every withdrawal was right. But under, under one Bitcoin you can withdraw instantly and after one Bitcoin we just need to check that, that everything's all good and gl- glorious until we mature more and make sure that uh, everything's all good and proper. We listened to a fantastic podcast that you guys did uh, a little while ago with some white hat hacker groups, and we're employing um, bounties to make sure that we're all tight and watertight in that aspect as well. So it's, it's, uh, it's really exciting looking at every single part of this structure to, uh, to try and build the perfect exchange that can make people sleep (laughs) get people enjoying their sleep again in the Bitcoin world (laughs) thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin content for today's episode was provided by Stephanie and Joshua music for today's episode was provided by Jared Rubens with the LTB theme song and Gertie Beats with today's break music this episode was edited by Adam B. Levine we'll see you next time